Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I'm discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. We hope this show will be enjoyable and edifying for all, but especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is no stranger to the show. She's on uh, relatively often. She especially likes to come on when she herself is working on a passage. Uh, So I give her uh, the pick of the litter in that regard. She's preaching on Transfiguration Sunday uh, coming up uh, this week. And so we're looking at that Transfiguration story according to St. Matthew. So our passage this week is Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. If you find yourself enjoying the show today, we encourage you to press the share button on your podcast player app of choice and pass this along to others so they'll find it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways you can support us there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. Awesome. Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 9. Uh, whenever you're ready, you can read the passage in the translation of your choice. All right. This is the NRSV. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them high up a mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word made flesh, Jesus Christ and the way that he manifested himself to his disciples and eventually to many more. And we still wait his manifestation in glory to all creatures at his return. And so in this time between his uh, more private appearing to his own and his uh, ultimate appearing to all, in this time between we ask that Uh, You'd grant us the grace to see and to hear, uh, to encounter your son Jesus as he is presented to us in this gospel. So we pray for those open ears 
and open eyes, open ears of our heart, open eyes of our heart by the inspiration of your spirit, even during this very hour. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So thanks for reading. I think it was just one to nine, but thanks for reading past all the way to 13. Oh, yes. Actually, that little moment on the way down the mountain is, is pretty significant. So I didn't mind you including oh, that. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that that, that was a little addition. Some, some I, I've noticed the, I think some lectionaries suggest that as, a, you know, the full reading would go there. Okay. The shorter reading would end at nine, but I'm glad you included that. So with that in mind, uh, what what do you notice here? What do you, what's jumping out at you today as you revisit this obviously famous passage? Yeah. So the first thing is this six days later. Mm-hmm. So, okay, six days later from what? <laughs> and it looks like just Jesus predicting his death. Mm-hmm. The conversation, then six days later. And is that the, that's the first prediction of his death, correct? Yes. The one that just comes right before and that follows uh, right after Peter's confession and all that. So yeah. I guess that's a okay. significant event to mark then the time. But it is kind of just shy of a week later, which is curious. Yeah, but we see that as well when Moses goes up to the mountain. So so Moses and, and Joshua, they're up on the mountain, and then some cloud comes down, and then six days later, they hear the voice of God. That whole passage is just strange. You've got God saying, you know, come up alone, don't bring anybody, and he brings up 70 people. <laughs> And then God calls him up a little bit further, and then he brings Joshua Just with Joshua. them. And then it seems like, and then there's some scenes where it seems like Joshua is not around later when right, there's the right. hiding in the hiding in the cleft of the rock and all that. Joshua seems to have fallen out. Where he where he goes is, I mean, I'd have to double check. Maybe it says he goes back down, but I don't think that's mentioned. So then that's clear parallelism here, right? The kind of taking just some right further up, not the whole twelve that that Peter confessed him as Christ in front of the whole all 12 tribes of Israel, as it were. Right, But then right. now just these three go up the mountain. Yeah, so six days. Yeah, I think that allusion to to the Moses, I, I wonder if that's the main thing that the author wants us to notice about that, other than it just being historical fact. But very few of the stories in the Gospels mention the time that passes between them. Right. Yeah. So I yeah. think... Matthew is wanting us to think of think of this passage here. Well, I guess obviously Moses himself then shows up, but even the shining face, doesn't Moses come down from that mountain with a shiny face? Wouldn't that be a, I mean, not the white clothes, that part's not there, but. Yeah, yeah. So the people had him wear, wear a veil. Now the three, the three disciples are up there and they fall to the ground and cover their faces. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. perhaps if they had it, they'd come down with shining faces too. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those, I mean, maybe I shouldn't get into this now. Maybe I should save it for after the break, but. Just looking at, I've got my synopsis out here with Mark okay. and, and Luke out. That sentence is only in Matthew. Ah. The disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. Hmm. That's a little detail that we only get in Matthew. When there are differences between Matthew and Mark and Luke, it's often these kinds of little moments of worship or of awe hmm. or fear hmm. are, are very common, more common in Matthew than in the others, you know? Okay. Like, I mean, just to give an example, in, in Mark... When he, when he calms the storm, they're like, what manner of man is this? And that's the end of the story. In Matthew, it's, what manner of man is this? And they knelt and worshipped him. <laughs> it's kind of like, so there's that, that's definitely a, a recurring theme in Matthew. Yeah, yeah. Versus a kind of confusion theme huh. in Mark. That's good, that's good. Because there's that favorite detail that I know you love, because I have, have you, you've preached on this text before, right? Don't you use this at 
Oh, oh, oh. At so, camps, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I use this normally on the last day of camps. So you haven't done it on a Sunday morning before because no, that's I what's new because you I are haven't. prepping this for a, so a spoiler alert uh, to the end of the show, but for our <laughs> audience that Mandy is actually on deck to preach this text coming soon. And so uh, this is like a for real fresh text. This isn't, this it, isn't it a is, hypothetical. This is, this is a favor to me <laughs> <laughs> to go through this with you right now. But there's that lovely detail in Mark where he offers to make the tents and in Mark, it says they didn't know what to say because they were so afraid. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas Luke says, not knowing what he said doesn't add the so afraid. Huh. And Matthew has none of that. Just right, has the right. offer yeah. and God interrupts. Yeah. And, and then this is a great case of a, this is not a contradiction. This is a difference of emphasis because this is like, is, is this a detail you want to include or not? It, it gives you a different, you know, a different feel. But you think you take that line out of Peter kind of, falling over his words and then yeah. you add the detail of them falling on their faces and they're filled with awe. It, the whole atmosphere is different. Uh-huh, much more, uh-huh. The Matthew version has a lot more awe, you know, <laughs> and a little less fear and confusion mm. in terms of the theme mm. for what it's worth. Uh, going back to verse one, he led yeah. them up a mountain to be alone, but they're not alone. Yeah. Like he's, he's leading them up the mountain to be with, with Elijah and Moses. Huh. Well, what's what's the significance of that? What is the significance of I mean, we talk about being alone, you know, me and Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not me and Jesus. It's me and Peter and James and Jesus, right? <laughs> That's I'm playing John in this particular story, given yeah, yeah, that yeah. we share a name. And then it's not just with Jesus, it's with these other voices. Although then that has a parallel at the end, right? So it goes up to a high mountain, caught idion by themselves. And then it ends with, and when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus or Jesus mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. Monon, it's a different word. So not. I like the NRSV on that. The Jesus himself, it said it three different ways. Let me find that here. They looked up and they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. Yeah. So in the original, it'd be, it'd be, it's Udena Idon. So they saw no one, Ame, except out on him, Yesun, hmm. Jesus, Monon, alone. So it is a little awkward, like, except him, Jesus, <laughs> only, right? So it, there is a kind of extra emphasis because you wouldn't need all those words to say, you know, they it saw no Jesus. one but Jesus. Yeah, you could yeah. just leave it like that. Yep. Um, but the adding of the Monon and Auton himself, Jesus himself, that's that's in RSV, that's a good translation. How's NLT do it? You've got that out, don't you? NLT. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. Okay, so classic NLT. Let's give you some extra data. <laughs> right, but, right, but it, right. It's correct. I mean, that's kind of that's probably the emphasis mm-hmm. is that it's it's those faces that were there that no longer are. Say, read it again. How NLT did it? And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus. Okay. Yeah, that's probably the gist. <laughs> NLT is always funny. I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's definitely extra information. <laughs> Moses and Elijah were gone. Yeah. So what's the significance of Moses and Elijah? What do you usually tend to think of? Or do you have new, any new thoughts on that? I mean, you already mentioned Moses um, and the connection to this moment on the mountain. Yeah, I so I I struggle with that. When I read this text, my mind immediately goes to Peter. 
Okay. Uh, I'll come back to Moses in just a minute here. But I think because his response seems so human, you know, he's he's stuttering, doesn't know what to say, he blurts something out, and then he's he's falling. So I have a hard time. I have a hard time putting him aside on this. But Elijah, Moses, I mean, there's the whole talk of themes in Matthew of of Jesus being the second Moses. I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah? In what way? I'm trying to remember. Were you bashing that at some point? Or well, not bash. I mean, Laura was just on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about how, yeah, he's the new Moses, but he's also the new Solomon. He's a wisdom teacher. It's not mm-hmm. like he's he's not offering a new law. This is a a definitive interpretation of of the Torah, not a new Torah. Mm-hmm. So that's the only okay. twist on that. I wouldn't bam. I'm bashing it, but yeah. And Ken was on a while a while back ago too. I mean, Moses had to come up a lot, you know, when we're doing Sermon on the Mount. Sure. So Ken was yeah. on a couple weeks ago, and we talked about. You know, there's these like five big speeches in Matthew and whether those are hinting at the five books of Moses or not, you know, that's debated. Mm. So I think it's more just that it's a little more contested than. Okay. Okay. Y- you don't want to be like, that's officially what Matthew does and re- read every, read that yeah, into yeah, everything. Yeah. Because yeah. of course here it's Moses and Elijah. Right. Right. So I guess we could ask what, what, I mean, we can run with, I mean, I always think just law and the prophets. That's what my mind goes. These, sure. These, these yeah. represent the law and the prophets, which then fits even the thing with that conversation with, with Larissa about then the wisdom is the, that's the third element. The wisdom literature appears <laughs> in the third part because in, huh. in, in the Jewish canon, it's Torah, Nebuim prophets, and then the wisdom books, you know, Job, Proverbs, even the Psalms, you know, sure, Daniel's in there, you know, like it's kind of this, what does it look like to live mm-hmm. this out? What does it look to look like to live out the law and the prophets yeah. after exile is, you know, and so if Jesus is this embodiment of wisdom, then that last, I kind of, that's why I like about NLT highlighting the Moses and Elijah gone, because I feel like that might be the point of why it's going out of their way to say, just Jesus is who you look to now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Again, not replacing, but fulfilling, Yeah. not not abrogating, but fulfilling the word of Moses and Elijah, all the law and the prophets sure, being fulfilled sure. in him. I, I feel like that might be somewhat going on. I can see that. But back to what you said about Peter, it's like, I don't know what's in Peter's head. Peter might just be like, these are two people who've encountered God, you know. Yeah, like, and how, how, did, are... how, did they, how did he know it was them? <laughs> That's right. Did he just know? Oh my gosh. I've never thought of that question. It's the best question I've ever heard. <laughs> how does he know it's most Elijah? <laughs> I mean, I can, I can, I can conjure supernatural reasons why Jesus knows, and Jesus sure, said, sure. "No, behold, <laughs> Moses and Elijah." Yeah, but I mean, were they wearing name tags? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know what they look like. No. Wow, what an obvious question! Once you say it, <laughs> uh, Moses too. So let me go back to the Exodus passage, Exodus twenty-four, where this is going on. Right beforehand, he's done this whole thing on sprinkling blood on people and sacrifice mm-hmm. and atonement. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's a connection here in terms of where this is placed as well. Uh, you're talking about 24, Exodus 24? Yeah. Know, let's go look. We are being good readers of the New Testament and specifically of Matthew if we're feeling driven back to the Bible, right? Back <laughs> to Exodus when we read it. Okay, so Exodus 24... Five, then it's all about these sacrifices as peace offerings to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Moses is splattering blood on top of people. Look, this blood confirms the covenant of the Lord. Cut the covenant the Lord has made with you and giving you these instructions. 
then he read the book of the covenant mm -hmm. out loud mm -hmm. and, and he sprinkles blood on the people too. Yep. And you have the 70 and then the invitation, verse 12, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Right. Yeah. There's I love the six to... days. The cloud covers for six days. Verse 16. <laughs> right. So that's a clear connection. Okay, so Moses has been told, come by yourself, don't bring anyone. Verse 11, and though these nobles of Israel, because he brought up 70 nobles, and though these nobles of Israel gazed upon the Lord, he did not destroy them. <laughs> this is just a direct, uh, directly going against what, what the Lord says here, and he still didn't destroy them anyway. Spares them. Spares them. Yeah. I don't know how much we want to spend on that, but. Well, 12 twives, I mean, something's being, I mean, this is clearly a turning point in this unfolding, this giving of the law that precedes the previous couple chapters here, because the Ten Commandments are in 20, mm -hmm. and this first, and then the shift is going to be from 25 on, what, what Moses sees up on the mountain, because he's already given some of these laws, he's now going to see the Ark of the Covenant instructions, he's going to have a uh -huh. vision of the temple, there's going to be this pattern that he's going to see, that they're then going to come down and make, mm. And then there's going to be the golden calf incident and all that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's still to come. So, I mean, this is, I mean, in a way that kind of makes me think of Luke's version where Luke is very specific that Moses and Elijah are discussing his exodus, mm -hmm. his departure. In the Greek, it's exodus, <laughs> which he was to accomplish, which is about to be accomplished at Jerusalem. So... In some ways, I mean, Luke makes explicit what I think Matthew's expecting us to just pick up because we know our Bibles is, okay, we've done, we've done the, the law of how the community lives. We find that in Jesus' teachings already that precede this, mm -hmm. right? Right. And Sermon on the Mount and all that, right? Yeah. But now the turn, this is the turning point where he now he's heading towards Jerusalem. So there is a kind of shift from the everyday law to the temple law. Yeah, yeah. Right? The priestly right. law. Right. And in some ways, that's part of what's happening to use different terminology. I mean, there is a kind of shif a shift from Jesus' ministry as prophet to his ministry as priest is what's mm. coming now. Mm. Hence the predicting of his death and all that jazz. I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to make too much of that, but I think there's at least something there. Sure. In what you're suggesting in terms of where this fits in the story of Exodus. There's connections, too, with Daniel, then, this, this son of man, the shining. Ooh, ooh. let's pause there. Let's come okay. back to that after okay. a break. That's exciting. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we are looking at uh, the Transfiguration passage, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 9. Let me read it just so it's fresh in our ears again. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Mm-hmm. We'll stop there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> so right before the break, and I, I cut you off because I saw the time, but you brought up Daniel and the Son of Man. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah. So so Daniel, just flip there, Daniel 7, uh, he's got these visions of the four beasts. And, and in that, he describes the ancient one, this, this Son of Man. And the way that he describes him, you, we see a lot of overlap there. So he writes, well, he says, I watched as thrones were put in place and the ancient one sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire. Then skipping ahead to verse 13, as, mm-hmm. my, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Yeah, so this harkens back to things predicted about Jesus at the beginning of Matthew and then at the end of Matthew when he says all authority has been given in heaven and earth to me, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. And of course, he's had some predictions of, you know, how he will sit in judgment. Even the disciples, you'll sit on 12 thrones and we'll judge the nations. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the clothing is white as snow is kind of quite pretty obvious sort of likely illusion here, yeah. both to Moses, but also to this coming son of man, which is Jesus' favorite mm-hmm. term for himself, right? He calls himself yeah. the son of man all the time. So, And I think it's worth noting here, too, how terrified Daniel is of this vision. Mm-hmm. He's not experiencing it in, in, in real life like the disciples here, but... uh He's, he's troubled by it. My visions terrified me. He says that a few different times huh. after these things. He's going to someone else to explain it to him because it doesn't make sense and it's terrifying him. Which then overlaps directly then with Matthew that repeatedly right. references their fear and awe right. falling on their faces. Which then makes it so striking that what the father from the voice, the ancient of days, we could say in a way, refers to him then as beloved son. Mm-hmm. Son of man. With whom I am well pleased, again, familiar from the baptism scene. Right. But then instead of the last line, there's an, uh, there's an extra line, right? No, he does have, with whom I am well pleased. Uh, I was thinking of Mark, who doesn't have that. He keeps that line in, but then adds this phrase, listen to him. Mm-hmm. This is a new instruction. We, that doesn't, the baptism scene doesn't have that, that addressing others to listen. Which is funny, because it's all about... Maybe this is too playful, but I, f- I feel like the story up to now is all about looking. It's all about seeing. Keep saying, behold, behold, look, look, look. Huh. How he appears. So then you look, and then when there's a word spoken, though, it's an instruction to listen, not look, listen now. Oh, right? that's good. That's good. And what is the first thing that he says? Rise and have no fear. Again, that's only in Matthew, Whew. that little line. Yeah. So what is the first thing that he has to say is, get up, have no fear. Jesus came and That's touched funny. them. That's only in Matthew, that mm, little detail. Mm. Jesus came, touched them, said, rise, have no fear. Could you look at the Greek? This is my dearly loved son. Mm-hmm. My translation here says, who brings me great joy. Mm-hmm. Is that, so I, I always hear, uh, you know, in whom I am well pleased, that whole sure. line. But, but is, this, is that a pretty fair 
So this is the son of mine, the beloved. That's the standard, mm-hmm. right? That's all fine. Right. En ho in whom eudokesa. So, um, I mean, I guess doketo would be, I mean, this is the root word for like opinion and glory and, you know, what you think of somebody. So eudokeo is like, I have a good opinion of this person. Do you know what I mean? I think well of him. Just, I mean, if you're just asking about the Greek, the word could mean I take pleasure in him. I delight in this person. I enjoy this person. I think highly of this person. They're in my good graces. Okay. You could sit to, I mean, there's, there'd be two dozen ways to translate the word. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you, th- I feel like there's something then underneath your question. So I, in whom I am well pleased sounds so formal and stiff and business. I mean, that, that, that seems very different than, you know, this person brings me joy or delight. So there, there's something that feels, to me, at least extra personal here. Sure. There's, there's a, a, an intimacy here rather than being well-pleased. Well, I mean, it's a sort of a setting thing, you know? I mean, you know, in the baptism scene, I guess it's who's that for? Is this about making Jesus sure. get some warm sure. fuzzies? Or is this about, <laughs> sure. and he's kind of yeah. like, whoa, I'm your son. I had no idea. Well, or maybe it's old news to him. I don't know. And this is about us as the listeners. I mean, here in the Transfiguration, this is clearly not even really addressed to Jesus at all. Yeah. This is addressed to them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Listen to him. I mean, it, it concludes with an imperative. So I agree with you that there's something nice about that phrase. I mean, I'm going to go, I'm looking up the word right now while we're talking, but to see if there's something more about it. What verse is that? Six, five? Five. Five. This is live word study. So <laughs> so it's an, it's an aorist indicative present. So it's, I am you know, in whom I take some kind of pleasure or delight in. You want to hear just some other examples? So like, sure. It could be used to welcome someone, you know, in Luke that uses ones. Paul uses it in Romans 15 when he's just talking about uh, how it was pleasing when he visited those in Macedonia. Okay. He got some money from them. Okay. <laughs> Let me get the whole line. Uh you know, for the, you know, Macedonian Achaia, we're pleased to make a, a contribution uh, for the poor among Jerusalem, right? So it's something they did with delight rather than with a, a burden or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, it's used in First Corinthians 1 to talk about God's kind of election of the, the weak to shame the strong. Okay. And why does he do this? Because he felt like it. It was his good pleasure. <laughs> I mean, it's something used of God to kind of talk about God's, God's election, God's choice. Okay. That, okay. That, that, that happens in... In uh, in Galatians one too, was God pleased to reveal to me. I don't know why he picked me. You know, there, there's something I think there about just kind of hmm. Colossians saying that the, the, the Father was pleased to have the fullness of His deity to dwell in. So I mean, I'm just giving a couple examples. So I mean, the joy is good, but it, it it's linked a little more maybe with choice. When I okay. just do this quick word study, uh, maybe this was a boring thing to listen to. But when I do a quick word study, it seems like when it's being used, at least of human beings in some of those passages, it's like it's stuff that people are freely choosing to do, Mm. but they're doing it, you know, with joy or delight or pleasure rather than forced to. Okay. What what was your NLT translation that you were kind of liking but wondering? Who brings me great joy. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But (laughs) 
the the context, right? The beloved yeah. son. Yep. Luke has chosen one. Mm-hmm. I mean, the point is, I think God's highlighting this guy, right? <laughs> Pay attention right. to this guy. Right. In my good pleasure, I have picked him. He's the one. Mm-hmm. He's the special one. So I, I, it's not it's not a false translation, but it, it is precisely what you say. It brings out a little bit more intimacy, but that may not fit the context. So I don't know. Okay. Sorry no, to be a spoiler on that's, that, but that's helpful. That'll. I don't like in whom I'm well pleased either because it's just become so rote. Yes. That it's lost all meaning. Yes. It sounds religious. Yeah. 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 Jumping back up here, if you don't mind. <laughs> Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. What is there to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Well, you can tell that Luke was asked the same question. And so apparently, I don't know, maybe he went and asked. Because he has, he tells him, he tells us what they're talking about. What, what does but Luke Mark say? And, Mark and Matthew don't. So I'm, I'm with you. It's a very, it's, it's just interesting that the, and this is a case where Apparently, one of the gospel writers asked the question and went and interviewed <laughs> Peter and found out. Oh well, they, I think we were talking. They were talking about the Jerusalem stuff that was about to happen. <laughs> That's the line. It's they they appeared in glory and spoke of his exodus, his departure, hmm. which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. Hmm. So, I mean, can't you imagine? I mean, this is savvy silly, but I can imagine Luke actually sitting around and talking to Peter and John. He probably never met James. James was uh, martyred pretty early. You know, you can almost see Peter being like. I remember hearing, we were totally spooked. <laughs> I, I remember hearing the word Jerusalem, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And John saying, you know, I, I could have sworn I heard them say Exodus. Of course, he'd say it in Aramaic or Hebrew, right? But I could have sworn they said Exodus and I thought nothing of it because it's just, oh, of course Moses is here. Maybe, maybe Jesus, is, they're talking about Exodus. Of course, now I think maybe they were talking about his, you know, his Exodus, <laughs> wink, wink. Because it's still not very much. What is in Luke is pretty thin. Pretty vague there. Huh. But it is striking that Luke then adds immediately after this that they were heavy with sleep, which is interesting, but which is also kind of maybe a partial explanation for your question. They were tired. It was the middle of the night and they didn't hear the whole conversation (laughs) and were clearly a little dumbfounded by the whole thing. As they're going. Back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. I can imagine the disciples being like, okay, we have no clue what we just saw. We don't even know Deal. how to talk about this. <laughs> well, it's such an important detail, though, because it's kind of like, if the rest of them knew this, how would that change the, you know, but of course, even even Peter ends up denying him, right? Even having seen this yeah, vision, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and, you're like, deal, tell no one, deal. Okay, got it. And then even... The first question they ask him, why do the teachers of religious law insist Mm. that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Okay, yes, that's an important question. I don't know that that would be my first question after seeing all of the... Yeah, well, they're good rabbinical students. They're wanting to interpret what just happened, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we thought of Moses right away Uh and and made all those connections, but their mind went to Elijah and they're kind of like, hey, was this that? Was that Elijah coming? And then Jesus takes it as an opportunity to say, actually, Elijah has already come, you know, and they, they treated him the way they treated all the prophets, you yeah, know, and, they, yeah. and it says they understood that it was John the Baptist. Hmm. Again, a detail Mark does not include. Mark just says, and they had no idea what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, I, the disciples seem to have their act, act together like, a little I more. I too. I knew who it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mark. <laughs> come on. Or it's the other way around, because, of course, 
the tradition is that Mark is the basis of, of Mar- I mean, uh, Mark is based on Peter. So maybe Peter just always told the story where he looks like a dummy. Uh-huh. Cause you know, that's good preacher. Trick. Yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, want to look yeah. like the hero, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in Matthew's version, he's quite happy to, to make Peter look good, but I don't know. <laughs> but I love it. I love your suggestion. He's gone. Wait a minute. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Yeah, it's not the first question that would come to my mind, but then again, if they're living in this time of great messianic expectation, yeah, yeah, the appearing of Elijah is a is curiosity to them. It may make them really wonder. I mean, they're thinking of that line from Malachi about because it's kind of like if you're the son of man, then like haven't we missed a couple steps? Yeah, yeah, and that's why he kind of has to remind them: no, this is going a different way than you're expecting. The suffering is going to precede the glory here. Even though you got a little advanced taste of the mm-hmm. glory, mm-hmm. we're going to have to suffer first. Because maybe part of what's going on there, just like John the Baptist before him. Hey, well, let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters after. All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury. We're looking at Matthew 17. Verse 1 through 9, the transfiguration story. So you're prepping a sermon coming up pretty soon, I think. Yes. Now, you've preached on this before. If there's anything you want to say from you know, previous preaching experience, feel free to share it. Yeah. So I, have, I wouldn't say I've preached it before. I've used it as maybe parting instructions or a okay. parting devotional. So just something that was like five minutes or so. But, I see. But then I'd often send people off to try to see themselves in this passage as Peter. So, you know, what is it that you experienced this week that might have been a glimpse of the of the glory of God? You know, where mm-hmm. did you where did you experience God? And to acknowledge that desire to hold on to something, you know, Peter's making the wants to make the three shelters, wanting to hang out there for a while. And just that call to go back down the mountain, mm-hmm. to remember to acknowledge what you've seen, and then you go back down the mountain. And you don't necessarily try to recreate that experience. You're not going to be able to recreate that experience. You, you might get little, little flashes of it. But sometimes people, especially teenagers, they have a great camp experience. They feel God, or however they're going to mm. put it. And then three months later, that, that emotion, that feeling is gone. Well, it'll be gone sooner than then. But, but they wonder, what's wrong with them that I'm not having that experience again? Sure. And it's not, they're not supposed to have that experience over and over and over again. It's it's these these moments of just these these transcendent moments here that um, well three years with Jesus this only happens once yeah yeah this isn't the the norm and it only happened to three of them right the other right nine didn't get in on this and so this is in Peter's memory he can remember hearken back to it that I imagine that encouraged him at times but he's not going to try to recreate this he's not going to think he's doing something wrong if he doesn't see that bright cloud again. Although I, I did wonder if he has, if Peter or any of the disciples have questioned what it was they saw there, especially when Jesus has been crucified. Did I really, is that really what I saw? I wonder if there was some reinterpretation of this event when when they saw Jesus dead. Yeah. Did I imagine this? Did I misunderstand? And then maybe some memory of, okay, but right before and right after he talked about dying. Yeah. You know, it's like, but how can this fit? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Of course, we. I mean, Second Peter, his letter, he actually refers. He he re narrates it again. 
Um, he says, for we do not follow, this is from second Peter chapter one, verse 16. We do not follow cleverly devised myths mm. when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God, the father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with mm. whom I am well pleased. So direct quote. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, or we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word and more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Listen to me. Exactly. Right? So yeah, yeah. this kind of interesting enough, he's actually referring to this again. He's not even, you know, he's not. I was there on Pentecost when I got the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's also saying <laughs> sure. by the end of yeah. it, he says, yeah. you know, the prophecy doesn't come from the will of man, but from God by the Holy Spirit. So he is appealing to that also. But the story he tells even that is decades later near his death is this one here. There was this moment. We saw it. Yeah. You know? We saw it. We heard, heard the voice. It's not a myth. We didn't make it up. <laughs> but also recognizing not everybody saw it. <laughs> we have to trust the eyewitness, right? <laughs> So I don't know if there's something something to that. So where are you going to go? Uh, where, where what what direction do you have is cooking for you when you think about preaching on this text soon? We've got a lot of fodder here from our conversation, and that's good. But do you have a an angle that's starting to emerge? A focus? It's pretty thin right now. All right, and uh, let's workshop it, pitch it. <laughs> and and I, I'm not sure it's as tied to the text quite yet, which is. That's okay. That's how you work. That's how I work. And then, <laughs> you get and then, an inspiration and then, yes, and then you work it yes. out. But I'm, I'm, wrong I'm with that. I would love for the congregation to remember a time when they experienced the glory of God. It might not look like this, but but some mm-hmm. type of a time when they experienced God. And to even explore the ways in which the enemy might try to ruin that experience. Because mm. if the enemy can't stop God from appearing, he can play with our memories, can, can try to tempt us towards certain interpretations of what, of what we believe we've seen. Especially, you know, I, I, working with teenagers and then as they get older, sometimes there's almost this embarrassment, this shame mm. of, of what, I, what my relationship with God used to look like, of what I thought I saw or I thought I heard. And so, so what does it look like to, what does it look like to savor these experiences from the Lord? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something to savor and to remember and mm-hmm. to explore, even while part of growing up is knowing, yeah, those don't happen every six days. Yeah, it's not something to replicate, and yet there is a gift in that. Yes, yes. To not be in it. I mean, it's such a perfect text for that, for that exploring it. I mean, the timing of the year with this as the last Sunday before Lent is relevant because Lent is all about a kind of stripping and a journey into Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, you know? and, and, and you can imagine when Jesus is arrested— if the if the serpent is whispering, did God really say this yeah. is my beloved son? It yeah. can be interesting to see see the ways. Even going back to the Garden of Eden, I don't know that I'd, that I'd go there, but looking at the ways that 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 Eve and Adam are tempted, there's 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 shame in there when they realize they're naked. There's so there's all these different emotions that come when the enemy is trying to to attack to play with uh, what it is the Lord has spoken, what the Lord has said. I don't know that I would get into any of that. I think there's a lot to work with there, right? Because so you're really focusing on the aftermath, right? The coming right. down the mountain. Coming down the mountain. How do, how do you come down from this type of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you would definitely want to get through verse 9 at least. 
right. maybe some of the conversation after, but I guess one little tricky thing is then this tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. Of course, we live in a different, we live after that. So we are a little freer to tell, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. Uh, but nevertheless, there is a sometimes a sense of, sometimes you see something and it's not time right away yes. to talk about yes. it, you know? Yeah. I got to admit, these three surely talked about it though, each other, <laughs> right? I yeah, mean, yeah. And of course, you see them as a trio often. Well, I wonder if we could, this is going back, just thinking about that theme. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's very thin because I think you just literally want to just explore what are some different ways that this vision gets received and tested. Yeah. Right? And so you might pick some things from later in the gospel to, to draw on that. No, I think that's perfect. I mean, maybe this is too cute, but I mean, you've got three people here. You could sort of you know, speculate three kind huh. of different oh, ways that they carried it, you know. That's interesting. Maybe John is the more sort of introverted, contemplative person that whenever they bring it up, he said, he said, tell no one. Like, he doesn't <laughs> want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe holding it a little too close and not really willing to explore it. Hmm. Maybe Peter's super jazzed about it, you know, really pumped and excited. And then, so then he's quick to be devastated when the trial comes, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, and then how will fit James into that is then, I don't know, I'm just sort of thinking through the little we do know about these characters from the rest of the gospels. Could we speculate? You know, and, and again, you wouldn't have to do the sermon. Here's how Peter responds. You yeah, could say, yeah. you could describe a way of responding and then say, who knows, maybe Peter was kind of like that. And well, then you could describe and, another, say, maybe that was John. Maybe John kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of, you know question, you know, just kind of set it aside mm-hmm. and didn't really know what to do with it, you know. And is this a James and John that asked to sit on his right and left? Yeah. So uh, I, that's I, I wonder, that's after this? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. That makes it even more strange. Let me double check that. It's definitely after in Mark, but and Matthew pretty much always follows Mark's order. So I will double check that claim, but here is flipping <laughs> live next to Jesus. Yeah, it's an 18, right? Yeah, who's the greatest? It's all of them in 18. And then James and John. Oh, in Matthew, of course, uh, it's um, it's uh, Mrs. Ms. Zebedee who asked the question. Yes. It's in chapter 20. She asks on their behalf, but let's be honest, they weren't on it. Um, <laughs> Mark has them asking. Yeah, it's after. It's in 20. So the who is the greatest debate is in 18. And then the, the request from their mom is in 20. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's after. Mm-hmm. And Glory. Um, right and left hand, like Moses and Elijah. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. it's just you. Yeah. Oh, so those spots are for us? <laughs> We're the new Moses and Elijah? You know, I don't know. Like, maybe, sure, yeah. I mean, hey, we just saw the Son of Man. Man. Yeah, so sort of, is it generating? Yeah, 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 that's part of it. The generating an expectation from glory to glory. Hmm. So that's, this is only the beginning, right? Yeah. So he, he keeps telling them that the suffering is coming, but it's just not registering. Right, right. And are we not always the same? You know, we just, we always think the worst suffering's behind us. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. maybe. We and and explains too way. why they're getting we, tripped up over John the Baptist too. This, this, say more. Uh, this prophet who is, who is in prison, who's beheaded, you know, wait, wait, was he really? Yeah. And you're calling it, him Elijah, the coming of Elijah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. We see some of that second guessing too in John the Baptist. This is a bit of a bunny trail here. Where he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, you know, are are you the one, or is there someone mm-hmm. else coming? And and I almost see his experience in this as well, where 
he has this this mission from from God, and now that he's in prison, he's he's kind of questioning everything. Did I, did I get that right? Did I get that wrong? He's reinterpreting perhaps things that he said or saw earlier, which I think is what happens as we go into the crucifixion. Yeah, maybe I was just seeing things. Maybe it was just a just a dream. We were maybe really we tired, were sleepy. Yeah. yeah, that detail yeah. from Luke is helpful there. Did we really see what we saw? Did we really hear what we heard? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was and that really Moses sec- and Elijah? Yeah, and maybe that Second Peter passage might be relevant then to this sermon because there might be a little bit of a. No, we really did see it. We really did hear it. Mm. But I guess maybe that's the two sides. I mean, maybe this is too abstract, but you could you could do kind of two extremes. One is the kind of clinging and stuck in that past experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. wanting to recreate it. The Booths kind of wanting to keep it alive, right. and then maybe Peter wanting it to you know happen again. But then the flip side is the closing ourselves off to anything new. Sure. And maybe there's a new encounter because the fact is is they don't snap out of those struggles until he is risen from the dead and he appears again. Right, right. right? So maybe there is a new transfiguration moment, you mm-hmm. know, a resurrection moment that we need to be open to because that will clarify what happened back then. So it's not all about remembering that past experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. Just trying to recreate that. it's a I bad like idea. I like that. But I mean, especially when you're, and again, you know, you, you said you've done this talk on like with teenagers on retreats or, you know, the tendency to try to recreate or keep the spiritual high going yeah. fits that age group. But if if the sermon's in a more mixed group, mm-hmm. there may be some who've kind of closed off and all the cool experiences are in the past and they've made that maturing. Yeah. But maybe that there's been also a hardening that's gone with that mm-hmm. maturing. Mm-hmm. And maybe there needs to be an opening back up to a, a new moment oh, on the mountain. that's interesting. I don't know, something to explore, hmm. to consider. I wouldn't go a whole sermon around that unless the Lord appears to you in dream and tells you to <laughs> in the next six days. You got more than six days. I was that was a, that was an allusion to the passage. <laughs> I think it's soon though. Are you like I mean it's the nineteenth. Yeah. So Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah. Well, lovely. I always love interpreting scripture with you. This has been a blast. So uh, thanks, John. Alas, we're out of time. You're out of so, time. Thanks so much for the time you gave. Thanks to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks to the supporters of the show. If you'd like to become one of our patron saints, go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can support the show there. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>